when I wanted to be a motivational speaker, I thought, I, how do I figure out how to get paid speaking engagements? How do I get written? Someone writes me a check and I give a talk. And then I discovered that I was getting clients by accident who are not conferences inviting me to speak, but they're people who are seeing my speech and coming up to me afterwards and asking me questions like, can I hire you to do a project? Can I hire you to train my team? Can I hire you to be my coach? Podcast Junkies, episode 299. Uh, welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new to the show and wondering what we've been doing for the past 298, <laughs> you might want to check out some of that back catalog. I've had so many conversations over the course of the eight plus years I've been doing this. It's been really inspiring and it's showing no signs of slowing down. This is the show where we seek out interesting voices in podcasting, get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind. Last week, we had a friend of the show, longtime podcasting peep, Mike McCallan. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a podcast marketer. He's the founder of the Podcasting for Association. We talked about his life growing up in California, his eclectic life outside of podcasting, and how he's on a mission to create the future of membership-based podcasts that get attention and build revenue. We had such a great conversation. We talked about our shared experiences around trauma and loss and his experience as a firefighter and being in service to others. Truly an inspiring and fun conversation. Make sure you check that out. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking to Majid Mugariban. He's a longtime friend. We connected at a speakers conference years ago, and Majid joins the show to share his experience as a speaker, how he's mentored hundreds of business owners and inspired audiences across the globe with his wit, his humor, and his directness. We had so much fun. We laughed a lot on this conversation. He opens up about being intentional, the relational aspect of podcasting, and the process of becoming. So we get a little deep as well. You'll definitely enjoy this conversation. One other note is that before we got started in this interview, Majid had asked me for some information about the folks that listen to this show. And I thought it was such a well-crafted question, and it allowed me to think about how I would answer that and to go through the backstory for this podcast and talk about some things I may not have spoken about in a while. And so for folks new to this show, it's helpful to hear the origin story and what goes through my mind as I think about these episodes and I think about these conversations with you, the listener. So it's a little extra pre-show talk that I think was very helpful, and I've decided to leave that in here as well. But before we get into that, a couple of words from the folks that support this show. I'm grateful for the opportunity to partner with Focusrite. I'm so excited to talk about their newest line of sound cards, the Vocaster. It's got an endless list of features. I'll go through a couple here. Auto gain, easily set your levels with the click of a button. With more than enough gain on tap, 70 dB, no booster needed. An enhanced feature, which allows four podcaster-approved voice presets, which will bring out the best in any voice. You can silence the mic with the touch of a mute button and record phone calls, high-quality music, or any audio from your device seamlessly. You can record to a camera directly to its memory card. It's got a loopback feature to stream calls or any other audio you can think of from your computer. And three amazing packages of software, Hindenburg Lite, three months of Squadcast Pro Plus Video, and six months of Acast Influencer. What an amazing package. You can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash vocaster. I always like to tell people there's three folks in the conversation, the host, the guest, and the listener. And it's listener singular. There's one person listening That's right. to our conversation. As much as we know there's 
hundreds or maybe thousands of people subscribe to our shows, there's literally one person listening at this moment in time. Yeah. Okay, so we're recording this podcast for your audience. Yes. Can you tell me about your audience and what the intention of this show is? It was started with the intention of connecting with folks in the podcasting space. The longer story is I went to a podcast conference in 2014 and it was called New Media Expo to learn how to podcast because I thought I was going to create a podcast for me to interview DJs because that's my first passion, electronic music, cast music. I grew up DJing vinyl. And I realized how hard that was going to be to track them down. So, But I saw these podcasters, Pat Flynn was there, Amy Porterfield, and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I remember this show from the 80s, 90s called Inside the Actor Studio. I always loved it because it was a unique peek sort of behind the curtain about like these actors you just see them on screen, but then you get an hour. James Lipton talking to him for an hour. I'm like, oh, like he's humanizing these people. Actually, I know what their, like, their hobbies are and what they like to do in their, in their downtime. And that was like the model. And I was like, what about me telling the stories of the podcasters behind the mic? And you hear their polished product when it gets published. What do they think about as they prepare for the shows? And a lot of times, as the show's been going on for eight years plus, I'm closing in on 300 episodes. It's been a fascinating way to just, what I say, just let folks kick back their heels and just talk about what's on their mind. Yeah. And the common thread in all the shows is that they're podcasters. So you're speaking to other folks who are podcasters as well to understand what you've gone through in your journey, what inspires you, what challenges you, and what keeps you going. Because I think at the end of the day, as I think about refining like who it is that I'm speaking to and who I imagine is listening to the show, it's people who are also consider themselves professional podcasters and just wants to hear a, sort of a peek behind what's happening with other folks' shows. So I think the objective would be to help folks feel like they're not alone you know, in this journey. And there's no right way to do things. There's so many different flavors and format and styles that I've been just enjoying capturing them all. And here's the other like little secret that's helped from a podcasting perspective to think about is it's a stage. I know as a speaker, you can relate to stages, but this is my stage. And I'm like, I want to invite my friends on and people that I haven't spoken to, like Majid, that I, we haven't caught up in a long time. And I'm like, let's just catch up on the show. You have a podcast. Let's hear what's going on. And I enjoy these conversations. And every podcaster should see like their guest on the calendar and be like, oh, I'm looking forward to that. You know, if it ever gets to the point where you're just like, I don't want to have that conversation, (laughs) there's something to think about. Maybe that's not the the energy you want because you're going to bring that into the show, right? You're going to be like, uh, here we go. We're just slogging through another interview. So I really want the listener feel like they pulled up the bar stool and just like, we're just chopping away. And they're like, oh, that was fun. That was cool. Really enjoyed getting to know you guys. Cool. Well, I can already tell like from your voice that you're just like very calm and it's easy to have a simple grounded conversation. And so I'm looking forward to this. All right, I'll let you lead. You tell me what you want me to do. I love origin stories. So for the benefit of the listener, can you, to the best of your ability, recap how we met? Sure. There I was, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and across the room, one of the most handsome men. We locked eyes, and he had this deep, calm voice. Who is this guy? We were at Pete Vargas's Advance Your Reach conference on how to book stages for speakers. And I had upgraded to the VIP, which gave me some stage time to present in this competition. And yeah, we just met out by the fire and talked about how we're going to grow our businesses. And that conference actually became a key turning point for me because prior to that, 
my understanding of how one lands speaking engagements is they're just really awesome and they have a really awesome website and they just let people know how awesome they are. And somehow I thought like that just translates into speaking engagements. What I learned from that conference is actually just make a list of the places you want to speak and reach out and ask them like, what do I need to do to be a speaker here? And that's such a simple concept, but it profoundly changed my approach from let me redo my logo and let me redo my website and let me become a best-selling author and let me land a TED talk to just making a list and reaching out to people and asking to speak there. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Thank you for sharing that. So let's rewind the clock back a little bit. Where were you in your business or your career, life, whatever you want to use to fill in the blanks that caused you to be looking for help with speaking? So early, early, early in my career, in my early 20s, I decided I want to be a motivational speaker. And what that meant to me was I wanted to speak at conferences. The topic I would be speaking on, I wasn't really sure. I just knew that I wanted to speak and I wanted it to facilitate my lifestyle of travel. So I imagined there's like this speaking circuit and that people will discover you and invite you to speak on their conference stages. So I was quite naive really understanding what that actually meant. And I didn't realize that you can be a speaker and that might not actually be your actual business. So for example, you could be a service provider, you could be a coach, or you could be an educator and use speaking as a marketing tool. Another thing that conference really taught me is that the money is not always coming from a keynote fee. It can come from sales that are made on the stage. It can come from sales that are made after the stage. So I was still trying to figure out how do I make money as a speaker. And where I'm at now is I've got a coaching program. I use speaking as my platform to get my name out there. How far back can you recall being or feeling the need to either have your voice heard or be on stage? Because you mentioned you wanted to be a speaker and you didn't even know what topic you wanted to speak about. So maybe we need to rewind the clock a bit further back. But is it something that you remember as a child? Is it something that you saw on screen? Is it something that were you the most outspoken one in your family? Yes, I was the most outspoken one in my family. And I saw the power that making people laugh and making people smile has. I grew up and we moved around a lot. And so I was always starting school at a new school, literally from kindergarten to high school, every year, new school. And so I had to learn how to make friends quickly as a survival tactic. And I found jokes. I found magic tricks. I found storytelling. And that led me down a path to become a speech and theater geek, competitive in high school, I acted in improv comedy and started different improv comedy troops in university. And so it was where I found power in my ability to make people happy, smile, laugh. And so I thought if I can do that for a living, that would be great. You mentioned an interesting word there, power. Is that something that was important for you or did you feel you would be powerless if you didn't have these skills to succeed or, you know, cope with the challenges of like making new friends and acclimating and assimilating on a consistent basis? 
I'm going to answer sort of a different question. What's coming up to me is I now know after years of therapy that it's not my responsibility to make other people happy. But I think I grew up in an environment where I thought that other people's mood was based on me and that it was my job to make people in a good mood. And so I found, this is coming back to the word power, is I found that I could put people into a good mood. And I assumed that role was my job, is to put people into a good mood. Where did you grow up? Grew up in San Francisco, California, son of a Persian immigrant and son of a white Catholic German-Polish girl from Chicago. How much that mix of cultures was prevalent for you when you were growing up? Well, my mother really assimilated into Islam and into the Persian culture, and we cooked Persian food. So I basically grew up Persian. Okay. And my dad still plays the immigrant card. He's got an accent, and he cannot take anything seriously. It's jokes <laughs> on jokes on jokes. That's all it is, all the okay. time. And I love him for it. Did you have any influences or either from TV or things you were watching or reading growing up? I would say Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura. I'm 37 years old, and I remember being on the playground in fourth grade saying, all righty then. <laughs> there is something about him that's larger than life, because I remember him from In Living Color, and just, you would, he had this fire Marsha Bill character. It was explode on the screen, probably like echoes of Robin Williams, but some people, they just take over the screen when they're on it. And you're just like, wow, like, how does someone do that? And I've always admired people. And that's why I think what, not that specifically, but there's aspects of like seeing larger than life characters on screen that inspired me at the time to study some acting as well. So that's cool. Yeah. Did you have hopes of like being a comic? I competed in some humorous events in high school. There was an event called Original Comedy, and there was an event called Humorous Duet Acting. And I always loved those, again, because we had, there's probably like 12 different forms of competitive speaking tracks on the speech team. A lot of them were boring, like dramatic interpretation and extemporaneous speaking and research-based presentations. But I thought the coolest ones were the ones that make people laugh. And then we got into improv comedy in college. And improv comedy is like melding your mind with a troupe of fellow actors and like connecting to the energy of the audience as any good comedian does is they kind of like feed off of the flow of really connected to the audience. So I've had some experiences with that. And it's actually on my current list of projects to build a stand-up comedy routine and perform it at a club. Just earlier, six months ago or so, I took a seven-minute set to a birthday house party. And it was really great. And I have also come to realize that there's a lot for me to learn and grow in that department. So it's, it's a really a masterful art. Yeah, it's been something that's actually been top of mind here in our house. Natalie's a huge fan of Joe Rogan and the comedy scene and some just we've gone to some improv shows here close by and just kind of just interesting to see how everyone's got their own style, but the people that can do it and do it well, how much that truly is like a craft and a skill yeah. and an ability to like read a room and have a pace to your material and just really be intelligent and the best comics are the most observant 
because they make light of things that you didn't even realize was funny or something that's actually controversial, but are able to flip it on its head in a way that help you laugh about it. And it feels in this environment that we're in right now, it feels like comics are helping us provide some much needed levity and grounding for things that are just getting like too far on both sides of the spectrum. And you're just like, you're at the point now where you're not sure what words are okay to say. <laughs> That's right. And it's been interesting time now. And I think it's an important need for comedy. There's, there always is that, that need for laughter. But I think now in serious times, I think there's a more pressing need for some levity and some just people to bring folks back down to earth, if you will. Yeah. How have you thought about that? Has that been anything that's been top of mind? Because I'm sure you don't have to turn too far to, to see or look too far to see what's been happening in the news and the topic of woke and cancel and just people are just on edge right now and, and just fearful of what to say. And it feels like comedy is, is important now. Yeah, I think that comedy should have sort of a sacred pass and to be allowed to say anything because it is an art form, because it is social commentary. And I think we've seen the threat of losing that recently. I live in Canada. I live in a very conservative city. I live in the capital of Canada. And during the pandemic, it was one of the most locked down cultures that I had visited during the pandemic. I went to Europe, I went all across the States, and people are very afraid to speak their truth if it goes against what the public policies are. And I also went to some comedy shows during the pandemic. And in fact, there was a plexiglass in front of a guy where I lived in Canada. People had to show proof of vaccination. And so it was pretty touchy. And thank goodness he could make some jokes. And thank goodness we could laugh. Now, we also all had a cultural experience to witness Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. And what that told us, if we just observe what we were shown, comedian tells a joke, it's appropriate to slap the comedian for telling the joke and swear at him, and you can still be embraced by your peers for that. And so that ain't right. We shouldn't live in fear of upsetting someone in the audience and getting assaulted for cracking a joke. So I do think that it's very interesting to see what can get people canceled these days. And the fact that we have to be mindful about what we say for fear of canceling, it really does put a unfortunate filter on expression to be thinking every word you're saying, every word you're tweeting or posting online is like, is someone going to find this? And is someone going to find this offensive? And the answer is yes, someone is going to find this offensive. And to live in fear of offending other people is prison for our creativity. Absolutely. As a podcaster, do you have any thoughts about Joe Rogan and his content? And personally, just to, to set the stage for that question, I think there's something interesting about a three hour long format that it's hard for folks to BS. You can have a five second clip or a five minute clip on a show or on a talk show or 30 minutes on a podcast, but there's something about letting people talk and having a conversation and seeing where there's moments you agree and disagree and working through those that happens in that really, really long format that I really appreciate. And I've come to appreciate the fact that you don't always have to agree with everything that's on that show or with everyone that's on that show. And I pick and choose who I listen to. So I've found it refreshing that there is a medium for that. And there's other things we can get into later about like platforms that can help you make sure that you don't have a fear of canceling. But I'm just interesting if you have any thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I'll share a few thoughts. One is, I think it's a testament to the power of the individual's voice and the platforms we have available to us to broadcast that one man can be more powerful than I'm assuming many of the major networks combined. What I mean by that is I think he has a broader viewership, more people listen to him than probably any of the major news channels. Anybody with a phone can build the same platform that Joe Rogan has built. That's my assumption. The next thing I'll speak to is I've only listened to one or two of Joe Rogan's entire episodes, but I've seen many, 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 many clips. And so what that tells me is that I can access perhaps some of the most poignant parts of his interviews without needing to commit the full three hours. I do know that from what I know about his interview style is that he's very talented. That's not by accident that he is able to unlock moments with people that many other highly trained, highly talented, skilled journalists can do. It takes a certain skill to put people at ease. Famously, he's got Elon Musk smoking a joint. And drinking whiskey. <laughs> yeah. So I really appreciate and I salute the art to that. I salute the skill. I know that he puts in a lot of work to prepare, to research. And I've also known how he's been, I won't use the word victim, but he's been canceled, so to speak, by people who found him using some foul language from many years back. And that led him to changing platforms or something like that. So it, it is a really interesting case study about what new media can do. And I know some of the figures with money behind him. I think he's in the billions of dollars getting paid for his show. So he's obviously creating a lot of value. Yeah. And I think it is a model for folks to follow. Like, And I think people forget that he started out just recording YouTube videos with friends. And one of his comic friends, I think it was Ari Shafiri, would tell him, what are you doing? These things are three hours long. Like, nobody's going to watch these things. You got to cut this down. He's like, no. He's like, I'm enjoying it. We're having fun the whole time. And he was just consistent with his approach. So obviously don't need to make this a Joe Rogan infomercial here. <laughs> but I think as given this is a podcasting space, I think there's something to be said for following your passion and inviting the people on that you want to have these meaningful conversations with and not doing it with an intention to like, whoa, you know, who's going to look at this episode or how can I monetize this episode? Or should I just like leverage these famous people to talk to, but I'm not really interested in them, but I'm, they'll, they'll give my podcast visibility. I think I remember early on when I started podcasting in like 14 and 14, 15, you know, people would say, oh, just use these influencers and they'll help you grow your show. And it's the wrong approach because you're essentially hoping that this so-called famous person who I imagine is pretty busy and doesn't have time to just sit there promoting your episode <laughs> is going to give you the visibility. And I think it's, it's a reminder for folks to put in the hard work. So that said, I'm curious, you had been listening to podcast, you're working on your speaking career. When did the idea to start your own show come into your mind? That's a good question. I think I've been doing it now four or five years. I think it was just an assumption that, well, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube, I should have a podcast. And being that I'm a speaker, it seems to make sense. I'll, I'll tell you how I use my podcast, and I don't know that it's necessarily good advice to follow, but I've never once looked at how many downloads I've had. Honestly, I don't even know where to look. I use a guy who does all the technical stuff for me. 
So I send him the recording and he takes care of everything. And when he's done with it, it's posted on my website. It's on all the major streaming platforms, iTunes, Stitcher. He makes little graphics for Instagram, little audiogram, 30-second clips, transcription, everything. Awesome. And what it allows me to do is focus on the conversation. And what I'm after is, one, is I want to give my guest a platform. So it goes out to my distributed audience, and it's archived and available for streaming for the rest of our days on the internet. I stream it live to my social media platforms as I'm recording. And it's just my way to showcase them. It's my way to learn from them. And it's my way to develop a relationship with them. So... If there's someone I want to partner with or someone I want to be invited to speak to their audience, it's a really easy first step for me to invite them to speak on my podcast, whereas I might not feel as generous if I'm just saying, hey, can we schedule a call? I'd like to talk to you and learn about what you're up to and maybe ask to speak to your group. I feel like it's a value give to do that. So for me, it's like a relationship building strategy more than anything else. I love the fact that you said that, Majid, because that's really how I see podcasting over the years and how I've come to appreciate the medium and the platform. Like I mentioned, when we started, I started Podcast Junkies because quite honestly, I, I didn't know anyone in the podcasting space and I wanted to meet people in the podcasting space. And then from day one, I was using Skype with Call Recorder to make sure I had the video because the video was really important for me. And now, thankfully, with tools like Squadcast, which we're using today, and it helps to build that rapport with your guest. And because I would go to a podcasting conference and they would say, Harry, that was a great conversation we had. Nice to connect with you. And I love the fact that you're recognizing you do have this stage. I love to call podcast your virtual stage. And as a speaker, you can relate to this idea of online and offline stages. And this was hammered home for us when we were at the conference as well. So it was something that I always kept in mind from Adventure Reach. And this idea of like, if you ask people, hey, can I pick your brain? Can we grab some coffee? <laughs> they know in the back of their mind that you're trying to get some free info or some free consulting from them, or you need something from them. But it's just so wonderful to hear. And especially just even just thinking about the name of your show, the Expert Speaker Podcast. I love that the simplicity of it. I started a second show called the Vertical Farming Podcast. And you can guess pretty quickly what that's about. <laughs> and it's very SEO friendly. I've had a sponsor from day one. It's very niche industry that's growing. When people see it, they know exactly what they're going to get. And so it's just fascinating because I have verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Like, and if you Google those three words, it's the first thing that shows up. And so just from an SEO perspective and the ability for people to find your show and understand very quickly what it's going to be about, that's, I love the fact that your show is just like simple and easy for new folks looking for this information. And then the fact that you're adding value by connecting with these folks and finding out what makes them an extra speaker and what makes them tick and coming at it from a speaker yourself. So it's not like you're coming at it blind. And I think all those things together, and you could probably speak to this a little bit more as probably enhanced the quality of each episode, because to your point, you're building relationships, you're giving a platform for these folks on your stage. And maybe you could talk a little bit about what the experience has been, some of the good things that have come out of the podcast itself and these relationships that you're building. Yeah. Jack Canfield wrote a book called The Golden Motorcycle Gang. And it's a little short book about how he's forming alliances with other 
healers and do-gooders and people who are transforming the world into the next evolution of humanity. And I've always loved that metaphor. So I'm forming my golden motorcycle gang. And if I go to iTunes right now and I look at, I think I'm on like 40 or 50 episodes. Every one of those is an interview with someone else. That's my gang. But as we're having this conversation, I'm inspired to reach out to all of them and say, let's all get on a Skype call together or a Zoom call together. Let me just introduce you wonderful people to each other. Sure. So going back to what we learned at conference is I have a spreadsheet that I consult regularly of all of the groups that I speak to. And I include every one of the people who have been on my podcast because everyone who's been on my podcast has a community of some form or another, whether that just means they're 500 Facebook friends or they have an email list of 100,000 people. And so as I plan out my quarter, each quarter, I think to myself, which speeches do I want to be doing? Which groups do I want to be speaking to? And it's often those people that I've already interviewed. And so as we're preparing to bring me on to speak to their group, oftentimes they'll share their podcast interview with me. And what that does is it allows people to observe how we are with each other. And when people see the way that we are with each other implies a level of trust, that sort of translates into before I even get on stage into their group is like, oh, the leader of this community whom I trust, trusts Majid, I should pay attention. So that's really the result that stands out for me. I don't get a lot of inquiries from people like, oh, I found your podcast. I want to learn more. And maybe they're subscribing. Maybe they're, I'm not sure. But really what I am certain of is the fact that each person I've interviewed has a deeper relationship. And I look at, if I'm going to interview someone or if I'm going to speak to someone's group, that's the beginning of a lifelong partnership, ideally. I'm like, I'm connecting to their world and their community forever from this point forward. Yeah. I think that's something people don't give a lot of thought to, this idea of building relationships that are beyond transactional. And I think about that with my podcast guests on both shows. I think about that with my agency clients. Like, I'm really looking to build long-term partnerships. And, you know, there's no reason to expect and put the intention out there that you'll be working with these folks for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, until something happens that is a natural parting of ways, that's the right timing for both parties involved. But other than that, if you're enjoying working together, if you're enjoying the relationship, to your point, you know, having that mindset of thinking this on a grander scale, I feel like it's the proper intention and the energy behind like what you're always almost like in that giving mindset. Like, how else can I provide value? I have this mantra from Podcast Junkies that I started, it says, treat your guests like gold. And I always thought about that, like every single aspect of the connection with my guests from the moment they see my website, from the moment to like they get a scheduling link to interview, like what's that process like? Is it seamless? Is it easy? Is it clunky? Are they prepared when they come on the call? You know, do they feel welcome? Do they feel like I'm making them feel at home? It should feel like a conversation with an old friend. And when we're done, and is there anything that I can do to connect them with my audience or any value I can add and give them that platform? And then how do I make it easy for them to share the episode? We've all been on the receiving end of like, hey, your episode's live. Can you share it? And that's the only email you get. You're like, uh, yeah, sure. Can I get like a link or a graphic or something? Now we have to work hard to promote that. And I always say you never want your guest working harder to promote the episode than you because they've already done you the favor of being on the show. So that's something that's like, I'm glad to hear you say that. 
And then I think about, I took that to the next level with the vertical farming podcast. It's now treat your sponsors like gold too, because once you have someone that's yeah. there to support your show. So how have you grown as a host since you've started the show? I've become a lot more relaxed. I used to be suit wearing guy. And now I am just really comfortable. I feel like more of a peer than an imposter. I think I used to feel like, I sure hope someone, nobody finds out that I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. Now I'm like, hey, nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> exactly. Can you remember when transition happened, when you started to feel like comfortable in your own skin on these interviews? Big change for me was 2020, I had a divorce. Okay. And it just changed my perspective on everything about what's important and that like, it's not just about trying to look successful and try to make as much money as possible. Yeah. That coincided with some spiritual awakening and some ego death. And yeah. now everyone's my brother and sister. That's one of those words that people like to throw around. And then you realize when push comes to shove or when you're looking for that support, you're like, they act more like sometimes a family brother or sister. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm mindful, and I love what you said before we press record, is that there's three people in this conversation. There's you, and there's me, and there's the listener. And I noticed that I used to imagine many listeners, many of those listeners would be critical of what I'm saying right now. Not exactly what I'm saying in this moment. But what I decided is that I'm going to choose who that third person is. That third person is my ideal client. And if I think about my ideal client observing this conversation, I know they will feel welcome and they'll lean in. Whereas if I imagine someone like, for example, my mother, my mother listens to a lot of my stuff and she calls me up and she's like, why'd you say that? And what, what are you? <laughs> she's not my ideal client. Moms be moms. Yeah. 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 So whenever I'm recording a video for social media, whenever I'm putting out a webinar, I always think of my ideal client and I try to ignore my mind's saying, well, other people think of this. Yeah. That's a nice segue. You talked about your ideal client. Talk a little bit about your business, how it's evolved over the years and what it looks like in its current form, who your ideal client is. I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening as well. It's important for people to have an understanding that there's no one way to, to create a business. And it is, it's not for everyone. That's something to be reminded of. I'm reminded of every single day. But I'm curious about, talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Sure. So when I wanted to be a motivational speaker, I thought, I, how do I figure out how to get paid speaking engagements? How do I get written? Someone writes me a check and I give a talk. And then I discovered that I was getting clients by accident who are not conferences inviting me to speak, but they're people who are seeing my speech and coming up to me afterwards and asking me questions like, can I hire you to do a project? Can I hire you to train my team? Can I hire you to be my coach? And so I discovered that speaking is actually a great marketing channel, marketing platform. And so I started thinking differently, not that I'm a speaker and my product is a speech. I started thinking that I'm an entrepreneur and speeches are effective marketing. And then I refined it down to a coaching program. Originally, I was focused on sales. Then I started focusing on public speaking as a coaching offer. Then I niched into holistic doctors like functional medicine doctors, health coaches. And now I position myself as the, the public speaking coach for holistic doctors. 
That's where I do all of my speaking, training, coaching, and 90% of my clients are holistic doctors. I'll get the occasional entrepreneur holistic doctor come to me. So refining the niche, and then the product keeps getting better, Yeah, which is my coaching program. And even today, I was on a call with my assistant, and I was really excited because we're merging four of our key tools into one ultimate tool to rule them all and (laughs) the simplification is where i'm feeling like this is is elevated to an art form it's like it's becoming even more elegant even more refined and occasionally i'll slip on that and make things more complicated and come back to how do i reduce the simplicity here and i'll tell you a recent milestone that i'm just in the middle of right now is that up until a month ago yeah I have been reliant on other people's audiences as my only form of generating leads. Okay. And when I talk about other people's audiences, I mean, I go into communities of that other people have built and I present in the form of training and education and then invite people to have a conversation with me to become a client. And it's worked and it brought me to seven figures and it's made me a ton of money and introduced me to a ton of amazing people and a lot of those people I've had on my podcast in, in terms of getting those speaking engagements but I've always known I'm reliant on other people's platforms other people's communities and that's a risk and so I've embarked for the first time on generating my own leads through in my case Instagram cold outreach I have someone okay. sending out 100 DMs a day wow to build leads for me. So I've been hesitant to that because I've been burned a couple of times with Facebook ads. I'm not necessarily burned, but I've poured a lot of money into it and not seen any sure. results. It's a familiar story. That's a lime, That's a milestone for me is like building my own lead generating system and not relying on other people's audiences to partner with me for all of my leads. Well, we'll be sure to include links to any of the programs you're currently offering in the show notes as well, because I want to make sure people can take advantage of those offers. How have you seen like your entrepreneurial journey change in terms of you being a business owner from when you first started? Well, I think in the beginning, I just wanted people to take me seriously. So I printed business cards and I wrote speaker on the business card like that was going to make people go, oh, yeah, this guy's legitimate. Right. But I remember I printed on the back of the business card a two column bullet list of all of the topics that I could speak on. Yeah. Because I thought the more topics, then I'm going to get the more business, right? Sure, sure. That was entirely backwards. It's like the fewer topics, the more specialized you're perceived to be, right? Yeah. So I've specialized into public speaking. I've specialized even within there as public speaking for holistic doctors. And I'm less playing the game of trying to appear successful and impress everybody. And I'm more playing the game that entrepreneurship is my personal spiritual journey and that when I choose my avatar, my ideal client, then my challenge is not to convince them to hire me, but my challenge is to become the perfect solution for them. And the journey of becoming the solution for my ideal client is my personal development program, is my spiritual development program. And when I feel like I've arrived and I'm attracting these people that I want to work with, then my next upgrade is who's the next level person that I want to serve and who do I get to become to serve that level of a player? Do you think about 
in the context of your spiritual practice, who you're becoming and who you want to become? Of course. What does that look like for you? So I have a professionally recorded meditation I'm very proud of. And it guides my clients, and I take my clients through this every time, and I always do it with them. It's a glass sphere spaceship. And you get inside this glass sphere, and you hold on to these controllers in front of you, and you can move the sphere spaceship forward and backwards, and it's on a track, like a train track. But you notice that as you're moving it forward and backwards, that it's actually moving through time. And you can move back in time as far as you want, and you can move forward in time as far as you want, and you get to see how your life unfolds, and you get to see what the next 12 months looks like, what the next five years looks like, and you get to go all the way to the end of your waking life in this body and observe it all. And you get to have a conversation with your elder self at any age you choose, And then you get to realize that the track can actually collapse in time. Because one of my favorite questions is, how do I achieve my 10 years goals in the next six months? Yeah. And that question allows you to realize that whatever goal it is doesn't have to take 10 years. Sure. And then I choose to believe that I am those people now. I am that future version of me now. And I have access to all of the wisdom that my future self would have now. And one of the things we do in our practice, in our work, is we create the character that is our future self, and then we step into that character now, because our future self, who's already done 100 speaking engagements, already did the TED Talk, already lectured at Harvard, already spoke at Google, that person exists, and when you embody that person now, doing all the steps to get there is easy, because if you were to ask yourself after you've done it, what was it like? They were like, oh yeah, I did this, I did that, I did that. Yeah. So for me, the journey comes back to raising my kids. I have a six-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl, Charlie and Ruby. It comes back to enjoying each day by watching the sunrise and watching the sunset and being the most loving, kind man I can be. And so I'm no longer chasing the achievements that I think are going to make me happy and instead choosing to enjoy the journey and enjoy the process as that is winning the game for me. Wonderfully put. And I think that exercise is, I can just feel how powerful something like that would be in the context of you're taking control of your own life and with the future. And also understanding from a multidimensional perspective that everything is happening all at once right now. And you're just aligning yourself into the stream of the life that's already had the success. So I can see how that all that can happen and how transformational exercise like that can be for your clients. That's really cool. A couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? What is something that I've changed my mind about recently? I've changed my mind about committing in romantic relationship. I got married because I thought that was what we were supposed to do. And then I got unmarried, not by choice. And it led me to believe that committing romantically is a fool's errand. And I've recently changed my mind about that. And I'm in a committed, loving partnership that I'm growing and learning and enjoying. It's a fascinating experience because I've also have been through a marriage and a divorce. 
And I think also understanding there's cycles to everything and people get too hung up on the till death do you part part <laughs> without understanding spiritual perspective, like people are in your life for specific, I think it's called the reason a season or a lifetime or maybe multiple lifetimes, depending <laughs> how expanded your perspective is. And I think respecting and honoring like phases in your life and lessons learned and then, and then not making the same mistakes in the new relationship and developing as a person. I think we're all on this journey of just trying to be better versions of ourselves each and every day. So I'm glad that you've had that shift in your perspective and I'm glad things are working out for you now. Thank you. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? The most what? Misunderstood thing about you. Well, being that I am always performing, always acting, always joking, people have told me that they have a hard time knowing what they think is the real me. And to be honest, I'm such a chameleon that when I'm with a bunch of heavy metal rockers, I'm a heavy metal rocker, man. <laughs> when I'm with a bunch of weed smoking, reggae listening people, I am that too. Yeah. And wherever I go, I'm home. And so sometimes people have a hard time knowing who I am. And I just wish that they would know that I'm their brother. Very well put. Yeah, I think a lot of people refer to that as code switching. Yes. Yes, I can relate to that. Yeah, because I grew up in New York and I'm with the right group of friends. We'll just start freestyle and hip hop. <laughs> but if I'm in a nightclub and there's house music going, I'll be the first one on the dance floor. And so there is something that's nice to be a chameleon. Um, but I think, and you could probably confirm this, but your true friends, the ones in who you confide in the most, know who you are at your heart and know that you're the person to turn to if you know they need someone to confide to and talk honestly to and you can probably recall conversations that you've had that have been heart to heart with people who understand and get you and when you find those people it's really awesome to have people like that around you and in your circle that's right well majid i honor this awesome conversation we haven't spoken in such a long time and just for the benefit of the listener like it's been years and we've kind of kept in each other's orbit through social channels. And I remember we just met, we just kind of connected again on Facebook chat. And I was like, well, you've got the podcast that could be the doorway, I think. But for me, more selfishly, I was like, I just want to catch up. I want to hear what's going on in your world. You know, I know you're doing interesting things. I know we have a good connection when we met in terms of a sincere connection. And like I get, I get a vibe for when people are good people. And I definitely always had that vibe about you. So, you know, this is probably the longest conversation we've ever had. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I really appreciate the container and I do a lot of podcasts and this one feels so calm and so real. So I really honor that. And I appreciate that you really interviewed me and you really shared your own parallel stories. And I'm excited to have you on my podcast where we can really focus on serving my audience to learn how to start a podcast and how to do it well. So thank you. Yeah, I'd be honored. Thank you so much. So where's the best place for folks to connect with you if they want to learn more? So expertspeaker.com is the website. You can find me on TikTok at Expert Speaker. I love the work I'm doing on TikTok, Expert Speaker, all one word. And you can grab a copy of my book if you're interested in using public speaking to grow your business. It's called Expert Speaker, Five Steps to Grow Your Business with Public Speaking. Okay. And the book is at expertspeakerbook.com. Awesome. We'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it.
Thank you, Harry. I say it every time, and I'll say it again. Thanks to Majid for spending an hour of his time being gracious, sharing his story, opening up, having some laughs. I never take that hour for granted. Thank you so much for sharing your story with this audience. I know they've gotten value from it. Full show notes, summaries, timestamps, quotes, key takeaways, links mentioned, all available at podcastjunkies.com. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Cedarsoil.com for his list of amazing music. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and specifically the new line of gear, the Vocaster. You can see the full lineup at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. Okay, we're closing in on 300, and I can't think of anyone else better than friend of the show, longtime podcasting OG, Chris Curran. And if you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with hashtag speak with Majid. And you can tag him at Majid M on Twitter and podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. I'll see you at 300.